I'm glad to be able to bring you guys the word this morning. Um, I'm continuing my series, three-part series. We're at the third part, and then we'll have a prelude next time I preach again on verse 13. But if you want to turn to Romans 12, we'll read verses, just verse, excuse me, 12. And we'll remind and refresh ourselves of what we went over. And then we'll move forward into today's topic. Once you're there, would you please stand and we'll read this verse together. Romans 12, 12. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Amen. Have a seat, please. The last two sermons I preached on this series, we looked at this idea of rejoicing in hope and being patient in tribulations. We talked about this notion that as the Christian, we must have our eyes firmly on the hope that is to come, the hope for the present, which is Christ Jesus. That one of the key hallmarks of the Christian faith is to together and individually be looking forward to being reunited with Christ for all eternity. That is one of the hopes the Christian carries. It is what sustains him through times of darkness and difficulties. We then looked at this idea of being patient in tribulations. That for the believer, the tribulation is not merely an unfortunate event that happens to them but is God refining them through sanctification to be more like Christ. We talked about the notion of Romans 8, 28 and the verses following that for those who love God, all things work together for his good. And we made the warning that if you do not love God, those things do not work for your good, but they are actually to your detriment, to your destruction. And so now we want to look at the link that holds them together that is a core tenet of the Christian faith, and that is being constant in prayer. Let us go to prayer now before we move on to this point. Father, we are thankful for the fact that you've gathered us here this morning. God, we're thankful for the fact that you rose the sun. You give us the oxygen in our lungs. God, you have given us the ability to join together in unity. I pray that as we hear your word being spoken, God, that it would be working in our lives, transforming our hearts, and sanctifying us to be more like your son, Christ Jesus. Thank you for the truth of the gospel and the fact that it has the, the ability to take stone hearts and make them hearts of flesh. In your name we pray. Amen. When we think about prayer, um, we often think about it as a kind of an add-on. And so I want to go to Acts 2.42, if you turn there with me. And look at the notion of how the early church understood prayer to be. And obviously, there's much more of the passage we go to, but I think this is a key one for us to remind ourselves as we find ourselves within the church age ourselves. Acts 2.42 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and the fellowship to the breaking of bread, and of prayers. Church at its very, very, very minimum consists of those things, 
right? Doesn't mean that we don't have uh, ability to add other things, say our confession of sins, our uh, offering tithes and offerings, but at the very minimum, we see what? We see that. The devotion of the apostles' teachings, fellowship, the breaking of the bread, which in other ways says communion, and prayer. One of the core tenets of a church should be prayer. We've all been in different churches where prayer wasn't necessarily a focal point of the church. Um, we've been in churches where it's been a primary focal point of the church. It's one of the reasons that as your elders, we are firm believers that family time isn't an add-on to the service. So in our minds as the elders, church service doesn't stop after communion, right? That's not, and then we have add-ons. Church service ends after family time because it's us worshiping through prayer corporately together for specific needs as we've already addressed the corporate worship prayer through the assurance of forgiveness and the pardons of sin. And so when we see one of the things that the church does, we want to be understanding this notion that prayer is not simply just an individualistic event, but is a church event as well. And I think, again, in our lives, we tend to forget the, the wonder of prayer. Stop and think about this. When we pray, we are a finite creature speaking across a chasm of matter, space, and time to a triune being who is spiritual and outside of matter who is infinite. It happens in a moment when you pray, and yet it's happening outside of time because we're talking to someone who is outside of time. It's flesh speaking to spirits, the limited speaking to unlimited. Nahilio, which is Latin for uh, none or nothing, engaging with the omni. God is everything. This is what makes Jesus so glorious. Is here he comes and brings the flesh and the spirit together. He is the person who embodies fully man and fully God, and his prayer life reflects it. I encourage you to go through your, your readings and look at how Jesus interacts with prayer. He often gets away to pray. He often encourages prayer, right? He models prayer for us. Uh, model, and prayer is not something that he simply tacks on and says it's spiritual because it's spiritual, right? A lot of us tend to think of praying as a spiritual event, and our culture certainly thinks uh, prayer just for prayer's sake is good. But we look at what we see when we're doing in prayer, and it's us actually communicating with the triune God who is outside time from past, present, and future. And so when we think about prayer, that's one of the things I want us to focus on this morning is this notion of the idea that when we pray, prayer is not just an act in the moment. It is a recalling of the past with a looking to the future of our lives. And so as we go through this, this morning, I have a mini disclaimer. Um, the Spirit certainly speaks to us in, in prayer, and so I'm not going to dive into that whole topic, which itself could be one, but I want to just remind ourselves that when the Spirit speaks, it's always in line with Scripture. It's never out of line with Scripture. And so sometimes when we say, you know, I heard God speaking to me, um, we want to be careful how we phrase that, especially if it's something that's not lining up with Scripture. And then secondly, a, a disclaimer would be, the more memory verses, the more Scripture we can squirrel away in our brain, the more the Spirit is able to recall it during our moments of prayer for our lives. And so with those two disclaimers, those two points to remind ourselves, I want to go forward into our key points this morning. If you'll please turn to Psalm 85, we want to look at how God uses prayer to recall the past, to remind us of what he's done. So 
Psalm 85 states, Lord, you were favorable to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. You withdrew all your wrath and turned from your hot anger. Restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put your indignation toward, away from us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. Verses 1 through 6, we have the psalmist here writing about the fact that he's calling on remembering what has God done for us. So many times I think our prayer life, we, we think prayer in the sense of an emergency break glass. Um, without even remembering what God has already done before us. Right? Think about your own life. All the miracles that you've forgotten that God has done. All the near chances, the escapes, the wonderful things that God's brought to you in your life. Just yours alone that you often forget about when going to prayer to God. Now wind that out a little bit. What has he done for this church? Wind that a little bit more. What's he done for the church global and throughout Christendom and throughout the Old Testament and through what we see in Scripture? And so often I think we forget that, that God has constantly worked for his people. And so here we have this, the psalmist reminding us, right? You were faithful to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You withdrew your wrath. When we pray, we need to remember what God has done for us in his past. We need to remember what he's done for us on the cross. We remember the small miracles and blessings he gives us daily. And this is what the psalmist is reminding us, right? Restore to us again our salvation and put away your indignation towards us, right? We remind ourselves God forgave us in the past. God will forgive again. And so many times I think we forget to think about what he has done for us in the moment. Continuing in verse 8. Let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people, to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. The glory may dwell in our land. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground, and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. There's something profoundly important about looking to the past. There's something profoundly important about reminding ourselves what God has done for us. There's, there's a profound thing I think that all of us go through as we get older. You start to get a certain age and you realize how much your parents did for you. And then you have your own children and it just starts to multiply and multiply and you start to realize they did a lot of things for me that I'm not even aware of. And so there's this gratitude that comes through age of what your parents did for you, the sacrifices they made, the love they showed you through time and time again. It's a great analogy for what we see going on in our own lives. The deeper we get into our faith with Christ, the longer we walk with the Lord in this life, the more we should look back on what he's done and said, my God. Look where you have brought me. Look who you have made me to be. You have made me like a child of Israel, right? You will speak to me and I will listen. His salvation is near for those who fear him and that glory may dwell in our land. Righteousness will go before him and make his footsteps away. 
You don't get to those points where you're in the present, you're praising God if you haven't worked through what God has done in your past. Be gracious and humble and broken of your past because of the fruit it brings forward today. We see this clearly in the psalm. God, turn away your wrath. Your righteousness will go before me. Your footsteps you will make for me to follow. Right, that beautiful line there. Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithful springs up from the ground. Where we remember our past and what God has done, when we call upon that, we will find those things happening in our life as we progress to be more like Christ. It's important to remind ourselves of what he has done for us individually, but also collectively. And sometimes we can get too focused on ourselves when we need to look at verses like that and see what God has done for all his people everywhere. And so while we're focusing on the past, or excuse me, while we, once we focus on the past and we're in the present, we can see that things are much more manageable and our prayer life changes if we can think through why we're praying and what we're praying for at that moment. And so what I mean by that is this, is we are fickle creatures. Uh, anybody here get hangry? Right? Um, in the moment, you are an almost different person when you get to the point of hangerness where you're just like red, blind rage, right? And then you eat and you feel, whoa, I don't know who that was. That definitely wasn't me. Um, but it's a, it's a good reminder, right, that our emotions are not who we are. You being hangry is not who you are. Now, it doesn't mean you, were, you weren't wrong, of course, that you don't need to repent and maybe apologize to some people, but your emotions are not who you are. And so many times in, in my own life, in the present, when I'm working through something that is a crisis or there's conflict, there's something that should I be praying on, I'm caught up in my emotions in that prayer. I'm caught up in what I think is important, what I feel is right, what I feel has been wrong to me, or what I feel should be done in the situation, instead of focusing on the one who knows what is happening in the future within him. Turn with me to Micah chapter 7. We're going to read verses 1 through 6. The minor prophets are great because there's a lot of raw emotion within them. Um, and we're going to read some raw emotion from Micah here. Micah chapter 7. Woe is me, for I have become as the summit fruit, or summer fruit that has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned. There is no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. The godly has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among mankind. They all lie and wait for blood, and each hunts the other with a net. Their hands are on what is evil to do it well. The prince and the judge ask for a bride, and the great man utters the evil desires of his soul. Thus they weave it together. The best of them is like a briar, the most upright of them a thorn hedge. The day you watch men of your punishment has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Put no trust in a neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth for her who lies in your arms. For the sons treat the father with contempt. The daughters rise up against their mothers. The daughter-in-law is against their mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house." For some of us, you could read 2023 into that 1 through 6. Right? Here is Micah lamenting the state of the people around him, the state of what he is seeing. There is nothing good in the present. 
I can't trust anyone. Everyone's wicked, but my own people, my own family have turned on me. Everything is falling apart. Right? Verse 3, I love that. Their hands are on what is evil and do it well. Right? In the midst of what Michael's going through, he sees wickedness. Or Micah, excuse me. He sees wickedness. He sees brokenness all around him. And he has no hope. Right? Verses 5 and 6. Trust no one. Believe no one. Isolate yourself. It's kind of a, a conflict we're having in the modern church right now, right? This idea of, do we isolate from the world? Do we stay in the world? Do we move from blue states? Do we go to red states? Right? There's this whole conversation going on within Christendom that we should be afraid of everyone in that sense, right? Everything has turned aside. Everything is broken. There is nothing good in my community, in my nation, in my world. Look at verse 7 with me. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I wait for salvation of God. My God will hear me. There's this linchpin verse here, I think, in, in Micah chapter 7, where Micah states a truth in the moment. Yes, the country may be falling apart. Yes, I cannot trust my neighbors. Yes, in fighting is happy in my own house. But here's what I must remember. I will trust in the Lord who is my salvation. I will look to him. And not only will I look to him, but my God will hear me. In the middle of prayer sometimes, we need to remind ourselves, God is listening. The one who is infinite is listening to the finite prayers of you. The dust is able to speak to the creator, and he listens. Look at what happens after verse 7, when, when Micah points to the fact that God is listening. Verse 8, rejoice over, not over me, O my enemies. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the nation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. Until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindiction. When my enemies will see and shame will cover her who said to me, Where is the Lord your God? My eyes will look upon her. Now she will be trampled down like the mire of the streets. A day for the building of your walls. In that day the boundaries shall be far extended. In that day they will come to you from Assyria and from the cities of Egypt and all the rivers, or the Egypt of the rivers, and the sea to sea, and from mountain to mountain. But they are through desolate because of inhabitants for the fruit of their deeds. Shepherd your people with their staff, the flock of your inheritance, you who dwell in the forest, in the midst of a garden land. Let them graze in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old. And in the days when you've come out of the land of Egypt, I will show them marvelous things. The nations shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall lay their hands on their mouth. Their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent. Serpent. They will cr like the crawling things of the earth. They shall come trembling out of their strongholds. They shall turn in dread to the Lord our God, and they shall be in fear of you. In the moment, we have to remind ourselves, things may be at its absolute worst, but the ending is not going to be like that. In the moment, we are to be called to remind ourselves of what God is saying is going to happen in the future and what we're to do in the present, right? So if you look at 
from six, one to six, you see this, this is what's happening. Seven is I'm going to do this. And eight through 20 is what God is going to fulfill. God is going to fill his righteous judgment. God is going to shepherd his people. God is going to show the world that he actually is the God of the living. He's the God of the saints. Right? I love that verse 10. Then my enemy will see and shame will cover her who said to me, where is the Lord your God? Right? I was listening to uh, the Joe Rogan podcast and he was interviewing Stephen Meyer and he kept trying to bring up this idea like, how can God be good? Where is your God? This is really, he's, he's talking about this idea that, you know, it's ridiculous to think that there's a cre- creator who, who has created, created creatures. But one day, Joe Rogan will stand there before Stephen in this example, and he will be shamed because of the fact he flaunted. Where is your God, Stephen? Right? Stephen will be able to look in his eyes, and she will be trampled, and he will be trampled down. But that's, look at verse 7 with me. But that is kind of the key verse, I think, out of this verse to think about in the present moment. As for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. God will hear me. When you pray, do you in that moment actually believe God is hearing you? Or are you kind of throwing up, no pun intended, a Hail Mary pass, right? That you're just hoping gets answered. You're hoping something sticks. You're trying to see what sticks and you're just throwing it out there. Are you actually holding to the faith that God hears our prayers? It's vital for us to think through because the future is connected so interwovenly with our present situation. And when we pray, we should be looking forward to what is coming. We should be looking forward to what has not taken place because we have seen what God has done in the past. <coughs> Turn with me back to uh, Romans 12, 12, and then keep your finger there. And we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 10 as we talk about the future that is to come. I love Romans 12 12 is because it is kind of the summation of this idea rejoice in hope the hope that's to come be patient in tribulations what's happening to you in this moment be constant in prayer the the link that holds those two together the tension of the now and not yet the tension of the past and the future that is what we see happening in our lives. So when we go to pray, we should hold attention what God has done for us, that God will hear us now, and we will be delivered in the future. Turn with me, now with your finger, turn to Rome, or Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to start in cha- uh, verse 12, and we're going to read through 25. Verse 12. But when Christ has offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin in the past, he sat down at the right hand of God, present, future, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. That is coming in the future. The enemies of God will be a footstool. For by a single offering he has perfected for all 
time those who are being sanctified. When you pray, you're praying as someone for all time who's been sanctified. Christ is not needing to go back on the cross every time you sin. Christ has perfected you in forgiveness to be able to speak to him through prayer for all time, through the single offering he gave. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, This is the covenant I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. What a wonderful truth that we constantly forget. When we go to prayer, the triune God himself is within us. Right? And we know from Romans, the, the Spirit moans and groans on our behalf to God. We are not simply just praying alone. God himself is praying with us in the form of the, the personhood of the Holy Spirit to the, God the Father. This is the covenant they will make with him after those days. Right? With the Spirit within us presently, we know the laws that are on our hearts and they're written in our minds. Then he adds, verse 17, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. What a wonderful thing to look forward to in the sense that through all time you have been forgiven. In this moment, when you pray to God as a follower of Christ, you are forgiven. Your sins are no more. When we go to God in the moment, we are praying to someone who has forgiven us and sees his spirit within us and listens to our words. Verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. We have this weird relationship, I think, that we're going to forever worship Christ for. When we get to heaven, we're going to be blown away that the God who came in flesh communicates with us, that we have access to him, that the curtain has been torn in two. No longer is there separation between God and his people. In all eternity, we will spend with him. If you're married, you, you sometimes look at your spouse and you think, how do they love me? Right? How do they find me amazing? How do they still want to be with me? And I mean, that's a, that's a small nibble of a crumb compared to what it's going to be like when we stand before Christ and we say, that king of all eternity, of all time and power, loves me, spoke to me, and wants to spend eternity with me. There, there's no comparison. That's, a, that's as close as we can get, and it's still just a crumb of a morsel. And since he ripped that curtain, we have a great priest over the house of God. Verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. I love the language here that the writer of Hebrews uses. With confidence, with assurance. Right? He tells us to go boldly into the future, knowing who it is that sits at the right hand of God. Knowing who it is that hears us. We are not to go to God with hesitancy and worry that he's going to punish us for our sins. Because it says already, we have been forgiven in the past. If we remember what he's done, we then therefore have great assurance of the faith of what is to come. Right? If you go chapter over, one of the greatest verses, right? Faith is... The assurance of things not seen. That is what Paul, or the writer of Hebrews is referring to here. Continuing, 23. Let us hold fast the confession 
of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. What a beautiful line. Let us hold fast to our hope without wavering. When you pray, are you holding fast to the hope and the knowledge that God is faithful? In the midst of your dark moments, in the midst of those struggles as you're praying through them, when you're praying for somebody who's going through something catastrophic or in need of prayer for a job or anything of the nature that we would pray for, are you praying with the hope that does not waver for he is faithful? If you're doing so, look at what Paul says, or continue with 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. One of the key things that prayer does on a consistent motivator and a consistent uh, outpouring in your life is it moves you to engage and love the church. Right? Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. If you cannot pray for your church, it's going to be hard to stir them up to good works. Not neglecting to meet together is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Prayer is vital to church life. Right? We saw that in Acts 2.42. They continually devote themselves to prayer. Why? Because it's one of the key things that helps us not neglect to be together. If I am convinced that God, who is infinite, omnipresent, omnipotent, is listening to me, how much more do I want to be around people who I know that God is listening to for my needs, for our needs together, collectively? So often I, I lament being a Westerner because we've so taken the faith and made it individualistic. I'm going to go pray by myself. I don't need your prayers. Thank you. But we see this being carried out in Hebrews, right? Let's consider us to one of the love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together. But, at the end, what to say? Encouraging one another and all the more you see the day drawing near. There's a day coming where we will stand before Jesus. And we will look back and we'll think, thank God that we as a church prayed for another. That we came together. We prayed together. That we made prayer an important part of our worship and our service. So we see in this section, this looking forward to the hope, the reminding that we go forward with confidence, with strength in the promise of he who is faithful. God is calling us to be a people of faithfulness, a people who look to what God has done and was going forward. Go down a couple of verses with me and look at verse 32. Right here it is, the writer of Hebrews recalling your past. But recall the former days when you were enlightened, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison. You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. There's, there's really no way to work through those verses in your life if you're actually constantly in prayer focusing on what's coming down the pipe. The better property. Right? Think about that. For your compassion for those in prison or those who were, right, persecuted or suffered, you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and abiding one. That's a great tension that we see in Christianity. 
Right? We're to work within the state. We're to work to spread the Christian influence. But joyfully, we're willing to realize having a nice house out, you know, on the hill west of town, it's not it. Right? Think about Jesus when he says, and he used the analogy of the rich man who sold everything to buy the property that had a greater treasure buried within it. The writer is calling us to remember that. Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Right? There is treasure waiting for you within this life. In Christ. And it's not just something that is a one-time payment. Right? Look at that. It's an abiding one. For all eternity you will receive your wealth. You will receive something that's far better than this life has to offer. Are you praying as such? Right? When you're desperately struggling because maybe you're living check to check or whatever it is, are you focusing on something saying, God, even if you don't deliver, even if you don't come through in the way I think I need this moment, I understand fully there is something better that you are promising me. Something that abides fully for all eternity. Verse 35. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. The longer... I've been a believer. The, the sadder I get when I see somebody who has deconstructed or they've thrown away the confidence of the true living God. Right? There's a warning there. When you pray, look to the future. Don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Be confident in the one who is faithful. In the midst of our trials, our struggles, it can seem like things are closing in. Things are getting small. Things are getting hopeless. But there is something coming that is abiding. and It's a great reward. Verse 36, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. When's the last time you prayed for endurance in your life to receive the reward? Right? Not just endurance to deal with that person who's difficult, not endurance to get through the season of trials and tribulations going through, but endurance to make it to the end to receive the promise. Look at verse 40, 37. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. For a little while, you're going to suffer. For a little while, you're going to have to learn to pray, thinking of what God has done in your past, reminding yourself of what he's going to do in the future. For a little while. And the coming one is coming. Don't, and he will not delay. It feels like he delays if you live 60, 70, 80, 90 years. You might feel like it delayed a long time. But to remind yourself, it's not that long. It's always amazing when, when, my, when we go on road trips and I can see the growth of my children who can understand time, right? So Bryson, I tell Bryson, it's going to be 12 hours. He kind of has a framework of that. I tell Willow it's going to be 12 hours. I might as well tell her it would be 500. She has no concept. But we tend to be like my daughter, Willow. God says, it's just a little while. And we're like, I don't know, God. I've been here for several decades. It's sure taking a while. Right? But have endurance in the promise that is to come. Verse 39. But we are not to, of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and perverse preserve their souls. Do you have faith that preserves your soul when you pray? 
Do you truly believe that God is going to fulfill his promises? That God is the one who cleanses us? That God, for all time, has saved us? When you pray, are you looking back to what he has done in your life and throughout Christendom? While you promise or look to the promise of the future and hold tight to those. To end our sermon, I'm going to read Psalm 27 over you. If you would please meditate on these words, if you want to close your eyes, if you want to pray along with them, that'd be great. I'm going to read Psalm 27 to you and meditate on these words in relation to our prayer life to the God of the living who is faithful. Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me, teed up my flesh, my adversary and fools, it is they who stumble and fall. Through an army encamped against me, my heart shall not fear. The war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to acquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tents. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I shall sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, O Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not. O God of my salvation, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witness have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord.